I'm Emma Judd and welcome to The League Cast, a podcast from The League Against Cruel Sports. Each month I'll be joined by friends and fellow campaigners to talk about all things animal. The Hunting Act 2004 came into force 17 years ago on the 18th of February 2005 and this series of The League Cast follows some of those people who are connected with legislation and the Hunting Act in general. Today, I'm joined by Dame Caroline Dynage, Conservative MP for Gosport since 2010 and a passionate advocate for animal welfare. A former patron of the RSPCA and a supporter of the League Against Cool Sports, Dame Caroline is a founder member of the Conservatives Against Fox Hunting Group and, most recently, was named a patron of the Conservative Animal Welfare Foundation. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you very much. Great pleasure to be here. Thank you for taking the time. You've been an, outs- an outspoken and passionate supporter of animal welfare issues for, for a long time. You know, wh- why why are you so interested in it? Where did it all start for you? Um, I, get, I mean, I grew up in the countryside. I grew up in a village called Hambledon, which is synonymous with the, um, the Hambledon hunt, you know, so that, so that was something that happened around me. I had full understanding of the uh, the sort of economics of countryside pursuits and how integral it was to uh, village community and village life. But I still couldn't get my head around the fact that this felt like it was an entirely antiquated pursuit. It was an entirely antiquated sport that had no place in the modern world. I just couldn't reconcile myself with the, the wrong of it. And so I've always positioned myself very firmly as being anti-blood sports. And uh, and I guess that's where it all started. You've been a, a passionate supporter of domestic animal welfare as well, being a, a you know um, a patron of the RSPCA too. So is it something that's going to be a, a lifelong passion of you to, st- to stand up for animals? Yeah, you know, I mean, it comes from your home life. My parents are what um, um, uh, collect what I call um, secondhand dogs. They they are <laughs> basically my parents' home is a is a kind of rescue facility for uh, dogs, cats, horses, uh, you name it. But you know, um, it started with rescue greyhounds, and um, and now it's a whole uh, combination of all different animals that they get from um, everywhere. Um, one of which, uh, Dave Dynage, became quite a regular on television during um, during lockdown when my dad was presenting Meridian Tonight. Um, so <laughs> okay, it stems from my childhood. But I just think, I think you, you judge, I judge individuals and society more generally on how they protect the weakest and most vulnerable, whether that's children or animals, those that are helpless and those that can't um, defend themselves, so to speak. I very much judge people on how they and on how they treat them, and I judge a society on how they treat them and how how they defend them and their interests. And it brings us quite neatly on to talk about um, the Animal Welfare Sentencing Act, and I know. We at the league were so grateful for for politicians of of all colours who supported cross party um, to increase the maximum sentences available for those who commit the worst sorts of animal abuse. Um, we were lucky enough to to lead a delegation of charities to to number ten to to campaign for that to, to go through. Um, but with sentencing guidelines for those crimes not coming in until spring next year, even though the act um, came into being in 2021. What can what can organisations like us do to, to lobby for those maximum tariffs that are outlined in the act, which um, for those listening is a maximum of five years in prison and an unlimited fine compared to at the moment, well, what was previously a maximum of six months in prison. What can we do to, to, to ask government to, to reflect the maximum in the sentencing guidelines. Is there anything? Yeah, 
I, I, I do think so. And I think people need to be out there speaking to their own members of parliament and keeping this very much at the forefront of um, of people's minds. You know, MPs have got a lot on their plate at the moment. We're trying to sort of navigate our country and our constituents through the challenges of uh, rising cost of living and energy bills and lots of other sort of day-to-day pressures. But this is a animal cruelty is something that doesn't go away and uh, and we need to make sure that it, it's something that's at the forefront of our members of parliament's minds and that they're pushing for this at every opportunity it's really important I think we would certainly tend to, to agree with you especially that society is judged by how we treat the vulnerable whether they be four-legged two-legged or um, you know human um, so it's one one of the things that we we get I suppose not accused of but some people say when we campaign especially around election times is that animal welfare issues are a distraction from real issue real issues and in inverted commas um, of say the cost of living um, brexit war in Ukraine all of the things that um, you know are in the news day after day uh, what do you say to people who who might think that that is just a distraction well I mean first of all, you can't deny the fact that this is an issue that exercises people in huge numbers. You know, I get so much correspondence from my constituents about animal welfare issues. People do care about this. And it's really important that the government reflects people's care and passion. We are a nation of animal lovers, whether people like it or not, that is who we are. And it's, re- and that, you know, it, we, we have to reflect that. And, you, you know, as, as I say, and um, you, it does, you know, how a, a nation treats its most vulnerable is a reflection uh, of its priorities, and you've seen in the in the papers recently there was a horrific case of animal cruelty where caught up in it there was also cruelty to children as well. Uh, you know they, they they had countless um, countless dogs kept in the most unspeakable squalor, but amongst it all was a seven year old child who mm. hadn't gone to school and wasn't being looked after either. So actually, you know, often people who are um, vile and despicable to animals are people that also don't treat children or um, other vulnerable adults very well too you know so you know I, you, you can't always make those parallels but actually you know that that, that, that there is sometimes a theme here mm, uh, most most definitely um which brings us on to, to the world of hunting which you've had experience of from a, an early age and you were a founder member of conservatives against fox hunting um some of our listeners might not know what that is. Um, so tell us a bit about it and what your role as founder is in it. Yeah, so uh, it was started by a, a remarkable lady called Lorraine Platt, who has got, you know, just got animal welfare and strong values when it comes to the way that we care for animals sort of through her, the middle of her, like a, like a rock of, um, uh, like a, like a stick of rock, if you like. <laughs> and uh, so she is a remarkable communicator and made, t- made contact with me very shortly after I got elected. I've always been a little bit outspoken, a little bit gobby, as you know, and have never made any secret of my views on, uh, on blood sports, on hunting, on animal welfare issues. Uh, as I say, I grew up in the countryside, but I didn't want to represent a constituency in the countryside because I, I, I knew that this was an issue where, you know, my views may differ from those of my some of my constituents. But actually, I think... Uh, if you were to ask people now, the vast majority of people, whether they live in rural or urban seats, would argue that fox hunting is something of the past and shouldn't continue. Uh, but I was really pleased when I first got elected to find that there were like-minded people like Lorraine and a whole range of other members of parliament who were there with me at that sort of 
um, uh, in those early days to support this uh, to support this group. And and now you've been um, named a, a patron of the um, Conservative Animal Welfare Foundation. Is is that a similar organisation? Yeah, I mean, it just moves it on. I mean, the, the 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 fox hunting thing came at a time I think when people were concerned that with 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 a new Conservative government there might be a somehow a, um, a, a the brakes put on the fox hunting or, you know, a, a revision of the fox hunting legislation. Of course, that didn't happen. And I think the, the sort of new intake of MPs these days would make anything like that impossible. But uh, but you don't stand still. You move forward and, you know, we can, can, can continue to campaign for issues of animal welfare. Now, this government's got a remarkable um, record of achievement, I think, on so many of, uh, of, of those aspects. But... There is still so much to do, and and uh, and that's why I agreed to become a patron of the um, Conservative Animal Welfare Group. And with the with you joining government in two thousand and ten, and you've alluded to it, um, successive elections had in manifestos repealed the Hunting Act, and it was only in two thousand nineteen um, where there was very bluntly um, no changes to the Hunting Act. Um, but before that, of course, we had Theresa May and then Jeremy Hunt in the last leadership election offering. Um, repeal or free votes on repeal. Um, personally speaking, do, do you think that the the ban in its current form is robust enough? Um, you know, is you say we can't stay still, but making no changes to the hunting act would imply um, standing still. And we have um, n- numerous examples. We just published a report into hunt havoc um, of animals still being killed um, because of hunting activity that goes on. You know, is is the law good enough? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, as you say, mounting evidence that uh, that whereby the act, um, in its letter, may be being applied to um, that. You know, the spirit of the act is is not necessarily being upheld, and mm. I, you know, and I think there's there's mounting evidence of that. Uh, I think the difficulty the difficulty would be. Uh, making a compelling enough case that would uh, encourage a government to kind of reopen that whole argument again, because it's, it's a fairly toxic argument, as you know. And, uh, and there's part of me that really wants to see this dealt with once and for all in a way that makes it a lot more resilient and, and enduring. But then there's another big part of me that really doesn't want to have that whole sort of go back to first principles and have that whole argument again, which I think, you know, is one of the concerns about reopening this. So, I mean, it it would be interesting for me to look at ways that it could be tightened up without having to sort of go back to the beginning. Mm. Okay. Um, With, with animal welfare, um, having more of a, a, I suppose, a, a a focal point on the last manifesto, um, um, looked at did come out in 2019 um we've seen um the animal welfare sentencing act come through um we've seen also other legislation such as the kept animals bill the animal welfare sentience bill move at various paces and speeds through parliament um but they seem to be tied up in the tumultuous nature of parliament over the past um few months um so so what is happening with those, that legislation that looks to be at really real risk of failing because of running out of parliamentary time? Yeah, I mean, this is a um, this is a big conundrum for a whole, you know, for legislation across a whole range of different uh, of different topics. I was most recently um, I was a minister, as you know, for just nearly seven years. And the most recent piece of legislation I was working on was uh, the um, 
the online safety bill. And that again is something that if, if we can't, you know, having spent literally um, two or two years of my life, but civil servants have spent many, many, many more years of that than that, bringing this piece of legislation together. And unless we can get it over the, um, over the finish line in the next two or three months, it risks falling. Mm. And there's a whole range of legislation which is in exactly the same boat, partly as a as a result of things like um, the coronavirus, which you know tied up so much of the legislative agenda in in bringing forward all the necessary uh, the necessary parliamentary time to to, to make the the changes that were required uh, but you know there's been a whole range of other distractions leadership challenges new prime ministers that have have um, have snarled up the parliamentary agenda and we really need to cut through that now and uh, and focus on what's important because you know as you will know with the vast majority of this legislation you can't carry it over and if it falls before we get to the next queen speech then it's falling and 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 um, and that would need to all be started all over again and I think there would be an awful lot of animal welfare organisations and groups like the League who would absolutely campaign for, for parliamentary time to be available and, and would obviously see as well as, as parliamentary work having been lost because of that, then also a lot of our work and our supporters' work and would also have been lost as well, which would be absolutely devastating. Um, if that does happen and with... And another general election, really not that far away. Um, what would you like to see the Conservative Party pledge at the next general election to do for animals and animal welfare in particular? Well, I'm working on the principle that everything that's already been pledged and already begun to be legislated on is going to be delivered. Let's let's start <laughs> with that as a sort of let's be wildly optimistic and start with that as a as a as a grounding point because you're right. You know, there's been a lot of government time. Uh, uh, brought put forward into bringing this um, legislation to reality a lot of your time a lot of people's passions but actually underlining all of that is that all this legislation is game-changing and makes us one of the best countries in the world for animal welfare and it would be horrific if that opportunity was lost so I'm, I'm I'm working on the principle that all of that will be delivered um, in time. So moving forward, for me, it's just, you know, some of those um, uh, farming practices that make me feel deeply uncomfortable, live export of animals, the cage caging of um, hens, uh, uh, all those sort of things. I think, you know, there needs to be much more uh, stronger focus on, 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 on that sort of um, activity. Okay, well... Thank you ever so much for joining us. I know your your time is, is quite limited today. So just thank you very much for talking to us so candidly about your own views on, on hunting and, and what the government can do to, to combat animal welfare cruelty um, in the round. So thanks very much for joining us for the Leadcast. Thanks for having me. Take care. That's it from this month's episode. We would love for you to get in touch on our social channels with any questions that you might have had, though. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram by searching for The League Against Cruel Sports. Please also make sure you subscribe to the Leadcast so you never miss a single episode. Mm-hmm.